This morning, I invite you to turn with me further in the Gospel of Matthew to the chapter 15, and I'll summarize verses 21 through 28. In that chapter, beginning at verse 21, we see that Jesus has left the place where he was to pull away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region comes out and starts shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But as he did not answer her at all, his disciples came to him and urged him saying, send her away for she keeps shouting after us. He then answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And then he answered her again, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her yet again, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And instantly her daughter was healed. This morning I ask for the next few brief moments that you would join me by thinking and praying on the topic, a mother's plea. In today's text, we meet a tenacious mother, a Canaanite woman who has come to Jesus to free her demon-possessed daughter. As a Canaanite, she's the descendant of the biblical enemies of Israel. The Canaanites were the pagan people that often tempted the Jews to turn from God and practice various forms of idolatry. So we have this woman who does not ascribe to Jewish custom and actually lives a life that is contrary to it, approaching Jesus for help. Not only does she have questionable standing to even approach Jesus, she also approaches him when he's tired and worn out and trying to find some rest. He's withdrawn in an attempt to breathe and recover, but instead he's approached and confronted by this tenacious mother and her plea. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's focused on bringing the gospel to the Jews, the lost sheep, the children of Israel. He is opposed by the educated elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and his disciples trust him, but they don't quite understand him. Here comes this foreigner, this under or unqualified woman who falls in the category of other, who has heard about him and who knows who he is and knows that he can heal her daughter. She knows that she is seen as an outsider, and nonetheless, this mother is determined to get to the powers that be, the resources that are necessary to heal her daughter. We hear in this encounter a mother's plea, not unlike the plea of mothers all over this country and world who are crying out for their children to be safe, protected, educated, valued and seen, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their race, regardless of the side of town that they live on. A plea that the mothers of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and so many others have cried out for generations. For even as George Floyd breathed his last breath, he cried out for his mama. Many have acknowledged that when he did so, it has caused mothers from the far corners of Washington State to the coast of South Florida 
from Paris to Australia to rise up and join in the chorus of mothers throughout the history of our civilization who cry out and plea on behalf of their children and children's children. In this historical moment, they are joined now by fathers and brothers, by aunts and uncles and friends and comrades, all crying out a plea for justice, for mercy, for healing, and for wholeness. And what I love is that in this text, we hear a plea that is undergirded by a determined mother, a cry that is undergirded by a determination that speaks not today. I will not be ignored, passed by, or overlooked today. She's undergirded by a determination crying out, not today, for today I will be heard. Those two words, not today, are a battle cry. We've heard these two words echoed by word or sentiment through Fannie Lou Hamer, who while fighting for voting rights cried, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. We've heard those words or sentiment cried out by Ida B. Wells, one of the foremost journalists of her day who fought against lynching, who said one had better die fighting against injustice than die like a dog or a rat in a trap. We've heard those two words by sentiment uttered by Maya Angelou, the prophetic poet of a generation, who said it when she wrote, you may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. We heard not today come forth from Rosa Parks who launched a movement for America to shine forth. She said, no, the only tired I was, was tired of giving in. And we hear it crying now from the streets of our country by children, men and women in mass peaceful protests insisting on justice, insisting on reform, insisting on action in ways we've not seen before. So this text tells us that this mother Please, as she approaches Jesus, calling him Lord, son of David, with a cry for mercy, asking Jesus to heal her daughter. She's desperate and despondent. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus did not answer a word. This is why I love this text, because it is so real and discomforting. Jesus comes to discomfort the comfortable and to provide comfort to the uncomfortable. It is so revealing in this text because it then says that the disciples even call out to Jesus asking that he send her away because she keeps crying out, inconveniencing us. And yet she's met with silence and she cries out. She's met with silence and she does not give up. She's met with silence and she fights to get her answer. One of our well-known Christian mystics, Madeline Leangle, in her book, The Irrational Season, wrote, I have often been told that when one fight, one first turns to God, one is greeted with brilliant yes answers to prayers. For a long time, she writes, that was true for me, but then when God has you hooked, God starts to say no. 
This has been indeed my experience, Liangel writes, but it has been more than a no answer lately. For after all, no is an answer. It is the silence, the withdrawal, which is so devastating. The world is difficult enough with God. Without him, it is a hideous joke. So in our text, Jesus meets this mother's plea with silence, and she does not give up. She does not give in. So finally, he answers her, but not with the response that she wants to hear. Once again, this mother does not get deterred. She goes and she kneels down at his feet and she asks him to help her. And Jesus replies to her again with another unanticipated answer. He tells her that it's not right to give her the food, the miracle, the blessing that is meant for others. And this woman does not even blink. Yes, Lord, she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Yes, but even those of us who are unworthy can get the leftovers. This mother makes a plea and does not give up. She strategically fights for what she needs and what she desires. And like this woman, we need to get our fighting spirit back. Too many Christians today have lost their fight. We have misconstrued peace with not insisting on justice and shied away from doing things like overturning tables the way Jesus did. We don't fight for our faith. We stop fighting for our blessings. We often give up if our prayer is not answered right away or if our request gets an answer we did not want. We give up too easily. Those that do fight often fight for the wrong things and fight the wrong way. We fight other people. We fight against and not for God. We fight with evil tactics and secular ways. We fight with manipulation. We fight for money, for cars. We fight for a man or a woman that God doesn't even want you to be with. As Christians, we're supposed to be warriors and soldiers. I am on the battlefield for my Lord. We sing about it, but we don't live it. We honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Where has our fierceness gone? We had dreams, but we let them die because we ran into an obstacle. We had passion that died. Where is your fight? Your family has fallen apart, and rather than fight for it, you're throwing a pity party. You've lost your job, and it's painful, but you've become convinced that you can't ever get another. You've prayed for healing, and it hasn't come so you're giving in to the illness. Where is your fight? The, the good fight that Paul talks about. God sent me here today just to remind you to fight, to not give up because your church, our church, our city, our community, our nation depends on our fight. So how do we fight? This mother teaches us a few things as she makes her plea to Jesus. She, she teaches us how to fight against all odds when circumstances look overwhelming. She begins her fight with worship. In order to fight victoriously, we must come to God because we cannot fight these things alone. In Malachi chapter 3, God says, return unto me and I will return unto you. This woman did not allow her background, the fact that she came from a people that were the enemies of the Jews to keep her from returning to God. If, if someone who was an enemy of Christ 
could come to God, how much more could one of his own come to him? Don't allow your sin, your past mistakes, to convince you that you are too guilty and shameful to come to God. The text tells us that she came out and shouted. She stopped cowering in fear. She pushed against the inner voices and the outer voices of the disciples that have tried to tell her that she didn't have legitimacy to approach Jesus. She probably searched all over for someone to save her daughter and could not find anyone to heal her. So she must have remembered that she heard of a man who was raising people from the dead, who was setting the captives free, who was giving sight to the blind and feeding thousands with a little boy's leftovers. She had to get to him. Not only did she get to him physically, but she got to him in his spirit and his mind. She realized that when she got to him, he must be Lord. He's the one that she heard was coming, and she fell at his feet and worshipped him. She begins with worship, and in worship, we focus our attention and our intention on God's will and pushes us to overcome our fears and come out of our bubbles to serve God bravely and with courage. These historical times, this moment in history requires of us to be stronger witnesses of Christ in the world. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says that the deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of pain, thanking God during a trial, trusting God when tempted, surrendering while suffering, and loving God even when God seems distant. She begins her fight with worship, this worship that focuses in on the who of God, not the what God does, not merely the things and the actions of God, but whom do you say that God is? Even in your most painful times when all looks dark and lost, remind yourself of whom God is. Remind yourself that God is bigger than your problems, your challenges, and your circumstances. Remind yourself that God is the one who created you and knit you together in your mother's womb. Remind yourself that God is a healer, that God is a promise keeper, that God is a way maker, that God is a lover of your soul who loves you with an everlasting love, as Jeremiah says, that God is full of grace and mercy. God is light in darkness. God is joy in times of sorrow. God never leaves and never forsakes. She worships God to begin her fight. And not only does she worship God, but then you see through this interaction between her and Jesus that she's strategic and thoughtful. We've got to be strategic in our fight. It's not enough to fight, but you must fight strategically and effectively. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. She strategized. She used her mind, her intellect, her persistence, and as a result, she shifted the narrative. It is not enough to protest and to rally, but we must also be strategic and insist on change. We must plan through the event, plan through the moment. When reading this text, some questions may come to mind. For instance, why is Jesus kinder to the centurion that he encountered in the Gospels 
than to this woman? Why does he resist and some may say insult her in this encounter? I like that she is so focused on her strategy that she doesn't allow personal offense to distract her from pursuing her goal with persistence. She realizes that she's talking to a man, a man of privilege and power who doesn't even have a child, and she must convince him to consider her situation and to have compassion and empathy. She had to speak across a divide of difference. Perhaps this was one of the first courageous conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this text, we see an encounter between Jesus and an outsider, a woman first and a Canaanite second, two strikes against her. The intersectionality of race and gender, she is on the outside. And yet, this intersectional woman in the text could easily be excluded and rendered invisible by her gender and her Canaanite blood. But instead, Jesus engages in a dialogue with her. Jesus has some of his most poignant conversations with women who are not in the fold, who are on the outside of accepted social norms, gender norms, racial norms, the Samaritan woman, for instance, the woman with the alabaster flask, the woman caught in adultery all by herself, and now this woman. This encounter creates a new narrative and expands the narrative about Jesus and about our faith and about the meaning and the power of God's love. This encounter was a narrative-shifting encounter. Jesus knew that he had an audience in this moment. So in this exchange, we step back from what appears to be an uncomfortable and perhaps disrespectful exchange, and we see Jesus takes us to school. He engages in an exchange or argument that uses a Socratic method to change a narrative about who is worthy, valuable, and able to receive from him. Christ examines the leading and acceptable narrative of the day to pull in those who ascribe to it, and then through his exchange with this woman, he sets up the shift. He tests her faith and her intellect, and she meets him at every step. In this encounter, this woman shows us what strategy looks like in action and stakes her claim for legitimacy. In spite of where she comes from, she shifts the narrative to include her and her daughter. Not only does she worship God, then she strategizes, but finally this woman shows us the power of engaging our faith. After this exchange, the text tells us that Jesus was so impressed that he exclaimed, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Great was her faith. She showed God by her persistence and her engagement that she truly believed God. In spite of her background, in spite of what she could see with her physical eye, she was determined to believe God. Even when his response was silence, she did not let go. This mother's plea got Jesus' attention because of her faith. This woman shows us that it does not matter where you come from, but if you believe God and put action behind your belief, God will respond to you. God responds to the evidence of our faith. She showed God her level of faith, and that is what he responded to. Enough of the pity parties. Enough of the double-mindedness. Enough of the doubt. 
Enough of giving into fear and cowardice. In this moment, do you believe that God can move for justice? In this moment, do you believe that God can heal your body? Do you believe that God can heal your marriage, that God can bless you with a new job? Because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask. Then act on your belief. Fight with your faith. Strategize and don't let go. For this mother's plea, if really understood and heard, is not unlike a voice crying out as Isaiah prophesies in the 40th chapter of his book. It is a voice that cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This mother's plea prepares the way of the Lord. It makes space for the brokenhearted. It makes a way for the downtrodden. It makes a way for the invisible to be seen, for the unjust to claim justice, for the despaired person to claim hope, for the depressed to claim joy. Won't you join this mother's plea? Cry out in this moment. Turn from your comfortable corner. March, protest, strategize, push for change. Cry out and prepare a way for the Lord. Amen.